This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, co-founder and editorial director of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, Jamie Bogner. My guest on the podcast today is Jeff Bagby of Bagby Beer Company. Welcome to the podcast, Hello. Jeff. Hello. Happy to be here. We're going to talk about a range of things, uh, definitely some West Coast IPA. We're also going to talk about uh, you know Jeff's what Jeff has learned through his travels and uh, the way that tasting beer has influenced and impacted the way that he designs and brews beer today. Uh, but first, as the brewing industry's premier choice for glycol chilling, G&D Chili has set the standard on quality, service, reliability, and dedication to their customers' craft. Thinking outside the box, whether it's a simple relocation of the utility connections for a complex buildup or ground-level design and engineering, G&D is ready to meet the challenge. They're big enough to produce and small enough to care. Call G&D Chillers to discuss your project today or reach out directly at gdchillers.com. Also, kickstart your innovation with Old Orchard Craft Juice Concentrates. Old Orchard knows that a strategic seasonal release calendar means higher margins, increased taproom traffic, and secured shelf space for your brand. That's why they collaborate with countless breweries on product development conversations year-round. With unique flavors like watermelon, rhubarb, pineapple, and plum, the possibilities are endless. Get your Old Orchard sample kit with free six-pack cooler at www.oldorchard.com slash brewer. Before we jump into the conversation, Craft Beer and Brewing's all-access subscriptions give you a year of the print and digital editions of the magazine, plus access to our library of video courses, a special deep dive email only for all-access subscribers, premium content, and an all-access exclusive merchandise item that I designed myself. Uh, go to beerandbrewing.com and click on the subscribe button to join now. We're sitting here in a uh, lower level of Beerstadt Lager House in Denver, where Jeff and uh, Ashley and Bill from Bierstadter releasing a collaboration Czech Dark Lager today. Yes. Uh, but again, welcome to the podcast, Jeff. Ah, it's good to be here. Thanks for uh, thanks for inviting me on. We've uh, we've tried to make it work for a few months now. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, last fall uh, the the circumstances didn't quite work out. I'm glad we could finally get this conversation uh, on to tape. So, talk to me a little bit about uh, your brewing history. That's the way we normally start these things off. Uh, you've sure. got a long and storied brewing career that started in the late '90s. Kind of yes. quickly march us through, uh, you know, your yeah. development through brewing. I can go pretty quick. Yeah, uh, home brewer as a very late teenager and uh, college years. Then uh, I graduated college and moved back home and started working for Stone Brewing Company in 1997. Uh, I delivered beer for them for a few months before they realized that uh, I was very into more than just delivering beer. So they brought me into the brew house. Uh, it was my first professional brewing job. Um, learned a lot on the job and off. And, uh, well, that's been my entire career, I guess. Um, I was there for a bit, bounced around um, at a few other jobs kind of while I was there. Ended up working for White Labs uh, in San Diego for a little bit and then got a job as basically an assistant brewer, driver, keg filler, everything <laughs> in the world with uh, Tommy Arthur at Pizza right. Port in Solana Beach. Um, from there, I got uh, my first head brewing job, which was at an OG's in Vista, California, which is all in the same area of North County, right. uh, north part of San Diego, and uh, worked there for a while, and actually still worked in Solana Beach a little bit as a bartender at the same time. And um, Hustling. Yeah. And then uh, opportunity opened at, at uh, one of the pizza ports at the time, largest uh, locations, and that was a head brewing gig as well, but uh, a much bigger, a much more prominent position. So I went back and did that, and um, that turned into being the head of operations for all of Pizza Ports Brewing locations. And um, so that was hiring, training, bringing people together sure, sure. for all uh, three at the time. And then we opened uh, the Ocean Beach location to, uh, while I was there. Um, yeah, did a lot of work under that. The Pizza Port time was was long and, and great for me as a brewer. I learned a lot. I was given the opportunity to do experimentation on what sort of beers I wanted to do. We had uh, a brewing team through the locations that really, really, really worked well together. 
um, and brewed in the same kind of manner because I basically had trained them all. Sure. And um, that enabled us to do a lot of things and keep a lot of really, really cool, great beers going. Um, so I really cherish that time. And during that time, I mean, way back all the way to the stone days, I was like, wow, this would be great if I could figure out how to do this on my own. Sure, sure. And um, through the pizza board times is when that really became the f- kind of a more of a forefront of thought. You know, how do I how do I do this? And my wife and I started talking more and more seriously about it until um, finally it was time to announce my departure from Pizza Port and start work on Baggy Beer Company. So we opened, uh, we started work on it and well, while I was still working at Pizza Port, but um, really started work on it in 2012 Yeah, uh, and 13. And then we basically had construction in 13 and most of 14 and then opened at the uh well september of 14 and been going ever since so your dream from home brewer to pro brewer took about 20 20 years or so <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, 20 well, years of apprenticing <laughs> under some fantastic brewers and then uh you know honing your chops doing uh being that uh that leader and mentor yeah. to other brewers before you decided to start your own thing it's interesting that you point that out my wife and i kind of have that call back every once in a while where it's like yeah i can remember while I was working at Pizza Port, uh, people coming in who had just opened breweries or were about to open a brewery, when I'd say, oh, well, you know, where have you been working? What have you been doing? Oh, I've been home brewing for a year and a half. And I was like, man, I've been working in this industry for 15 years, and I'm not ready to open my own place yet. And so it was a, a different thing these days. You know, it doesn't, quote, take much to get a brewery open as long as you can get investment and you can get a quality brewer, which obviously we know there's a lot of out there now. So yeah, just a different path for me. I really wanted to focus in on not only like my brewing side of brewing in a, in a pub atmosphere, cause that's what we always wanted. Sure. Um, but also how pubs run, what's the restaurant side like, what's, uh, what, what can I learn and garner there? So yeah, I took my time. Over 15 years, what did you? Uh, what were the things that you weren't confident that you knew yet uh, before you took that leap? What is, what is it that you really wanted to learn, and what is it that you felt that you learned uh, that was, you know, one of the biggest lessons that these, you know, the homebrewers with dreams of opening breweries yeah. should, you know, be paying attention to. I mean, I, I, yeah, it's. I, I mean, there there was some valuable lessons learned, um, even just like business operation wise. And not that I was privy or made huge decisions on that when I worked at Pizza Port, sure. but I had my own budgets that I ran, you know, regarding ingredients and, you know, sales of beer on and off premise, all sorts of different things like that. Uh, staff relations was a huge thing too. I had been in charge of large number of staff before, um, but in a completely different arena, right? not a retail atmosphere at all. So that was something I really wanted to spend as much time on as I could. And, and, and I believe that was key, and I believe that's helped me uh, moving forward. Um, it, it, now, it's, it's such a different atmosphere. I mean, you can, you can get somebody to throw you a check, and you can open a garage and put a tasting bar in and make a beer that resonates online, and boom, you've got a brewery. And that was definitely not the case when, even when I was building sure, my brewery. Sure. And so in, those, in that short let's say seven years, eight years. I, I left Pizza Port the last day of 2011 compared to, what are we sitting here, January 24 of 2020. Complete and total turn sure. on opening breweries, operating breweries, and maintaining them for success. <laughs> that was at least 6,500 breweries ago, yes. Yeah, but, yeah. It, it's, it's just completely different. And advice and, and, um, and know-how, I mean, that, that is... It's just really difficult to give these days. I still am a firm believer in that if you're not making quality beer and you're not exposing your beer to people that know what quality is to give you feedback, then you are probably not going to be successful. Obviously, you can make great beer but have poor business decisions and your brewery can go down the drain. You can make mediocre beer or even poor beer and your brewery can soar to extreme heights. This is not what used to happen. So... Uh, you know, advice and tidbits, it's, it's really hard. I always get back to quality beer because I'm a brewer and that's why I'm doing this. This is where I came from. But it, it's different now. You don't need to have that. <laughs> well, you know, it is different now. But what 
in terms of it being different now, it's different this year and was different last year and was yep. a little different the year before that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also going to be different next year yeah. and the year following that and the year after that. And we don't know what that difference looks true. like. You know? Very true. Very um, true. You know, and so I think that you know, putting too much stock into the way things are right now and expecting you know, the way things are right now to project in a similar way across the next five years or the next 10 years, you know, that's a very dangerous projection to make because, true, true. you know, the, it's as quickly as it has changed to what it is now, it could just as quickly change to change. what it will be yeah. in the future. I think there is something to that idea of core quality and, and mm -hmm. focusing on it. Um, where do you go for that feedback? You know, what what is important to you? And when you are, you I know, always, even for you, I mean, you're yeah. you know, at a point in your career where you've done this, you have lots of respect for the industry. You've won countless numbers of medals at World Beer Cup and JBF. Um, you know, but where where do you look for for that feedback? Yeah, do you trust. I, I I trust the people that I guess. I mentor or not I mentored that that mentored me right. and and showed me and that um, that I believe in you know the the two people that run the brewery here are yeah I've I've only known for a short time but I consider very very good friends and believe in you know hey taste this beer and tell me what you think and they're not gonna blow smoke up my ass they're gonna no. tell me what is wrong what is right what they think you know what changes and and things like that so it has to be somebody you can trust you also have to be willing to take the criticism you know you may think your beer is is just <laughs> amazing and then all it takes is for somebody that's been in the industry for a long time or has any kind of palate that's credible or has judged beer or has made beer that you really, really respect to go, look, I get where you're at, but look at this, think about this. What was your goal in this part of this beer? So I'd say people that you respect and beers and, and beer makers, brewers that you respect and, and their beers that you really, really love, get them to taste your beer, get them to, to give you honest feedback. You know, your your buddy that you've known since you're two years old is not going to be honest. He's going to be stoked that you're hooking him up sure, with free beer. Sure, sure. So you have to you have to welcome the uncomfortable. You have to welcome the you know what? I feel like this beer is really good, but this person's really going to tell me what it is or isn't. And yeah. I've been doing that for years. How do you parse out now? You know, there's always that quality piece, and then there's that point of view piece. Yeah. You know, there are as many different ways uh, you know to design and make some of these things as there are styles and you know often even within a certain style there are definitely different points of view yes um, that manifest themselves in ways that are maybe separate and apart from quality but also are tied to that in some way because you know ultimately you're also not just making beer for yourself to drink you're also making beer for customers to drink exactly. how do you parse out that difference you know uh, of the quality piece and this is my point of view, and I'm trying to do something a little differently. Yeah, that, that gets difficult because at the end of the day, we are all running a business. And for that business to continue and be successful, you need to have some element of, of, of business, of sales. Sure. You know, you can't just make something and be like, that's what it is, buy it or don't. That's what the price is, buy it or don't. You can do that, and sometimes that works. Sometimes it falls flat on its face. Um, and yeah, I completely realize that in the position and the beer styles that I make and what I consider my core values in brewing, I realize that that might be hindering my business. But it's what I do. And I would rather continue doing what I do than have somebody come in and tell me, no, you need to make this beer. You need to make that beer. Untapped says this. This rating says this. You need to be making those beers. I'd rather be like... I, this is this is what I believe in. These are beers that have come before me. I've traveled and learned and tasted and talked with people and found out the best way that I can to replicate these beers in my own way in my brewery. So hopefully you understand that and you respect that and you see that when you drink my beer and you taste my beer and you go, wow, I can really tell that someone spent time on this. Whether it's a delicate, bright, fresh, crisp Kolsch or it's a monster, big ass Imperial Stout. What, what are you, what are you, are you looking past just what's in the glass and where that beer came from? That's my goal. I realize that I might not hit <laughs> probably 90% of the time or more, but if people are, are still liking that and respecting that, I'm still teaching them about what was or where these things came from. And that's, that's big for me on the business side of it. Yeah. That may not necessarily 
get me to where to soaring heights but as long as i can keep my operation going and and flourish a little bit and grow a little bit each year then i'm happy with that i'm more scared of sorry to keep going here i'm more scared of 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 people or things making um beers that are are flash in the pan um styles or or creativity call it maybe uh um the these these things can leave just as fast as they came and if you don't have something to fall back on if you can't make a core beer you can't make something that someone wants to come into your place and have three glasses of what are you going to do like there's only so many new flashy new toys that you're going to be able to come up with and then you're getting further and further maybe away from what actual beer is which is fine, you know, if that's what you can do and you can continue to do, then that makes your business successful. But for me, brewing came from a long tradition and a long, it's, it's a part of me now. And so I don't want to change that just because someone tells me that that's a good business decision. Sure. No, you know, there's plenty of analogies you can make. I, you could look at it as like, uh, you know, Skrillex, for example, mm-hmm. makes a ton of money as a dubstep DJ. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the moment dubstep's not cool anymore, <laughs> how do you, where do you go from there, right? Yeah, you know, how do yeah. you transition? It may be that it moves in a different different directions. I, I don't know what that is, um, but you know, certainly that you know, reaching for those kind of heights of pop and trend, um, they can you know, it's a, a double edged sword. It can be beneficial, but it can also uh, you know, kind of hurt that long term uh, of a career hopefully you make enough in the short run and if you're skrillex and making a quarter million or half a million dollars <laughs> for each dj gig you'll probably be okay and i think he's still fall. under 30 i think <laughs> <laughs> um i do want to talk to you i know you know when it comes to that point of view and brewing some of these kind of historically rooted styles a lot of that idea gets based on specific experiences that mm-hmm. you have in beer and i want to talk about some of those experiences sure. and how that has influenced uh, some of the beers you make uh, but first the founders launched ss brewtech with a very clear goal to advance brewing equipment design performance and quality to the very highest standards in the industry with a team that draws upon strong functional backgrounds in brewing science mechanical engineering industrial design supply chain and manufacturing ss brewtech has the people and skill sets you want and expect from your supplier of pro brewing equipment head over to ssbrewtech.com for more information on their brew houses and brewing gear and now, a special message from Pabst Brewing Company. Out of the West, a storm surprised. Swept down on Captain Pabst. That mariner and gentleman, his actions swift and fast. He sailed the seabird against the throws, routing twain wind and fear. He took haste to protect his kin, but the port was far from near. Pabst's intuition proved him right and bore a friendly coast. The mighty seabird crashed aground. And to that, we raise a toast. For while the seabird indeed was lost, safe were kin and crew. And without this mighty ship to steer, Captain Pabst began to brew. Captain Pabst, Seabird IPA, exclusively available in Wisconsin and Chicago. That was a first for the podcast right great. there. I've never I, done a poem I'm, I'm before. Some, I'm impressed. <laughs> Maybe I'm more impressed that Paps is making IPA. I don't know. <laughs> it's uh, you, you know we we've had some in the office and gotten to taste some and yeah. uh, it is a uh, it's a very palatable IPA. Huh. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about some of those formative experiences. Every sure. every top tier pro brewer that I talk to generally can you know when it comes to their beers you know and maybe we'll take your pilsner for as an example um when it comes to you know designing a specific beer there are very clear moments and beers that they've tasted that have kind of uh helped uh, create a cohesive idea of what these beers should be for them and then influence how they brew them talk to me a little bit about uh you know with some of the the beer styles you're known best for what some of those formative experiences were and how some of those beers influenced the way that you thought about these beers and how that's kind of reflected in what you do today. Gotcha. Okay. Oh, that's, that's a, that's a deep one. Um, we can go on for a while. Yeah. On this one. <laughs> uh, originally it was, um, tasting styles of beer from wherever, uh, the States or Belgium or Britain or Germany and going okay, I'm 
I'm getting this, but I'm also realizing that, you know, back then, 25 years ago, getting beers from overseas, you knew that they weren't what they really should be. You knew that they had traveled forever, had sat who knows where, had been stored warm, all the fun stuff for beer. Um, but that's kind of where it started. Um, and just realizing, going, wow, I wonder what this is, this is really like when it's had the way it's meant to be had, drank the way it's meant to be drank. And that grew into different styles. It started with ales, because ales, I've, when I first worked at Stone, ale brewing was what they did and all that they did. And talking with uh, Steve Wagner there, original, uh, he had worked at Pyramid, which I'd had a ton of their beers through college. And I'd ask him about different styles that they make and what about this, what about that. But ale brewing is obviously a completely different world from lager brewing. And lager, um, it was tough to find quality lager back then, especially from overseas. Everything was so old, and you know, lager is a delicate beer. So it's tough to find something that, that was representative of what it's supposed to be. So I think my lager um, desires uh, to, to replicate and brew those styles came a little bit later. Uh, sure. once, once I got into ale brewing and knew what I was, or felt comfortable with what I was doing and had, had brewed beers that I felt represented what I wanted them to represent. And then thinking and going, God, I'd love to make Kolsch, I'd love to make pills, I'd love to make, you know, uh, Dunkel and, and other styles of German beers that, and, you know, it was, it was part constraint on equipment. It was part constraint on time at pizza port. We didn't have tank time to do these things. Right. We also had nowhere near the equipment we, <laughs> we truly needed. And I actually still don't really have all the lagering equipment and things that I would love to have to make, you know, something like we're drinking right now. And since I, no one can see it, we're drinking this dark <laughs> lager, check, dark check yeah. lager collaboration. And those experience that that's a, a good example of an experience that Bill Ashley and I had in Prague back in May. Um, we had, I had done a couple festivals and they were at a festival in Italy and we decided to meet in the Czech Republic and we had a great few days in Prague. You know, we we searched out some new little breweries and tried some new um, Czech breweries that were making some really fun lagers and just had some fantastic beer. We also had some not so fantastic beer. And if you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. But we were sitting at Ufleku and we were having this dark lager and I'm like, I could drink this all day. And this is different from all the other Tamabes. For those who aren't following, uh, Tamabe is, is basically a Czech dark lager. It's a little bit different from Dunkel and Schwartz beer, but kind of think of those two beers and maybe combine them. Um, but um, very round, very not very rich. They still attenuate very well. They're not sweet. Uh, they have a hop character to them, but they're not bitter. Um, just a, just a really, I mean, and Ufleco really makes only this beer. They don't really make anything else. They make one style of beer. And we're sitting there drinking it. We're like, we got to make one. So that experience and sitting there drinking it, talking about it, comes into turns into recipe formulation and ideas about what grains and, and what timing and what other things that we can do to replicate this thing. Um, that's the super fun part for me. Now getting a drinking public or beer drinkers to actually understand or, or look into that and go, okay, wait, what, what's tamame? What the heck does that mean? You know, what does the 13 mean after it? You know, like how, how those things exist, just a very simple part of it. Um, but the rest of it, like the breweries that have been making it for years and years and years. And that totally became true the first time I went to Belgium. Let's walk through <laughs> this. I, I'm curious about this kind of reverse engineer process and mm -hmm. how your brain works on that. Where'd mm -hmm. you guys start? You know, um, For this beer, we started literally there in the Ufleco the pub, tasting it, going, yeah. what, what do we think? Then we actually talked to a brewer that worked at Ufleco for 30 years. That was complete circumstance. He was here judging the GABF. He sat down at a judge's table with me, and I'm like, dude, you want to go grab a beer with me when we're done? <laughs> and he's like, yeah. So I brought his ass over here to Beerstadt, introduced him to Bill and Ashley, and we started talking about it. And he's like, yeah, I basically made one beer for 30 years. He's still brewing. He's still overseeing some breweries and doing different things, but... He was talking about recipe, and we were we knew we knew certain parts of it. We knew that we didn't want to mash the dark malts. We knew we wanted to add them later, 
and use them as um, basically an introduction, basically at sparge, and not go through the decoction mm. process, not go through the mashing process at all, so that we would we would get color and we would get a hint of character. We wouldn't get that strong, dark roasted character or dark character. And the rest, um, we just kind of you. For me, especially with ales, is where I started doing this. Is knowing your brew house, which can take time. You know, I've um, a good friend and 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 somebody that I've <laughs> I've looked at for years as an amazing brewer and, and asked countless questions to is Vinny Chilerzo from Russian River. Sure. And you know, I was talking to him about moving from brew house to brew house when I was working at Pizza Port when I first started. I was still a head brewer at OG's and I was going into different brew houses and and he's like man that's that's tough and he's like he's like i feel like it takes a brewer at least a year maybe two to really understand their equipment and what it can do and what parts and what little tricks and turns and things that happen in in a brew house and i was like you know what you're right i feel like that's exactly it like i'd only worked at stone's original brew house which is now poor brewing lost abbey's I had worked at Solana Beach Pizza Port, and I had worked at this OG's in Vista, and now I was brewing at Pizza Port in San Clemente, Pizza Port in Carlsbad, and I started it's not seeing. Like you're this. a chef, where you can just bring your exactly. knives with you, and yeah. you've, you know you've got the the tools that you're comfortable yeah. with, right there. But but in that sense too, you think about an oven, you think about a wood fired oven, sure. or, a, or a brick, uh, a, a stone hearth oven, you think about um, different different stoves and the way that they they go different um pots and pans and things and how heat is transferred like all of that is is akin in brewing like it 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 it, it does change things like i i've been on on podcasts before where people are like oh what's the recipe for this or what did you do for this and i'm like i can give it to you but i can't guarantee you're going to make exactly what i did because those nuances are are there and they're right. they're not <laughs> they're not kind sometimes they are but you need to learn them to know and, and understand how things work. So when you're looking at building a beer, you're looking at it in layers, right? You're not just looking at the appearance, the head, the color, the aroma, the flavor, the bitterness, the alcohol, the body, all of those things. You're, you have to pull them apart, right? So you start looking and go, how am I going to get this texture and body? Is it, does it come off sweet but seem like it's well attenuated? So you're, you're, you're playing with malt there, right? You've got to get some kind of color and malt depth and get the beer to attenuate. So you're, you're right there, you're looking at mash temperatures, malt profiles, and yeast, fermentation temperature, and all of those things. But all of those things come from spending time in your brew house and knowing what different recipes do, what different yeast strains do, what different grains do at different temperatures at different times in your mashes. So that's that's it like I, all i can say is from experience sure going, sure sure like, i'm gonna replicate this belgian dark strong ale that i love how do i get there good question so you start breaking it apart you start also doing research to see if you can actually talk to people that made the beer i mean that's the best and easiest way right you get oh what, what's this process and that process again you, you're not gonna have the same equipment you're not right. gonna be able to exactly replicate the beer which i always tell people i'm trying to honor tradition i'm trying to 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 do the best that I can to replicate and bring an example, my example, not the original, to bear for somebody to go, okay, I get that. I get where those histories come together. Maybe it's a style that has certain beers that are similar or in the same category that come together to make my version of that beer, if that makes sense. Sure. You know, so there's that translation process, but there's also a learning process, you know, for you. Were there new ingredients, new yeast, or other elements that um you know that brought a new challenge to this because yes. then you're not just you know having to think about the way your system works you're also having to guess about the way your system might work with these unknown variables at the yeah. same time and this for this one a lot of that was was from ashley because yeah her brew house her knowing what her what these different types of ingredients are doing we're looking at i was just looking at malt percentages and diff, and choosing different malts but I, as we talked about last night, when I first tasted this beer, I was like, yeah, we used a brand new yeast strain that she hadn't used and I had never used, but we wanted to check strain. So I was, we were talking about it even on the brew day. I'm like, so you never brewed with this yeast before? <laughs> and we talked about it before, but she's like, no, but I think, you know, this and this, talking to other people. And I had talked to a few people too. I'm like, are you familiar with the strain? How does it go? Is it a sulfur producer? What temperatures does it like? How does it attenuate? How long? 
yada 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 and um you know we we got there <laughs> but uh yeah i mean i mean lager yeast is so different from ale yeast <laughs> sure sure <laughs> it, 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 it's pretty amazing but but um yeah that was a, a little bit of an unknown for us that was a little like a, a the biggest i'd say shot in the dark that we took yeah on this beer but we were still really confident and had narrowed down everything we could on that ingredient it's just the one that was the most unknown the others we knew we were we were good on <laughs> yeah yeah you know the there's something fun about being, uh, you know, uh, you know, say an, an artist at the top of that game, but being able to paint in someone else's style or at least like look at someone else's interpretation of something and say, I can make my own version of that. That's going to taste, a little, you know, much like that, but also also have uh, our own mm-hmm. twist or my own twist to it. Um, what kind of personality from Bierstadt and you do you think this beer then reflects uh, relative to the original? Uh, I think both of our loves for tradition. Yeah. And and that and just that history, and thinking about sitting in that pub in Prague, going, yeah, we let's do this. Let's try and replicate this. Let's try and honor what they've done. And I know Bill and Ashley totally jive, and we have a very right, very similar right. core thought about that. Obviously, theirs is heavily logger focused, um, but it was also cool to see them be like, well, Czech versus German. Most of their beers are German based, right? So, yeah, it's still lager. Stretching just, out a little bit. It still can make lager. Yeah. And, and we're still going to do this, this different style. And I think it, another part of that is, is, is kind of the, the part that we, t- we touched on earlier, the business aspect of that, and being like, we got to be able to sell this thing. You know, it's great for us to try and replicate it and, you know, um, get a, a really cool glass of, that's replicate of what we had when we were there. You know all those things um but we also have to think just a little bit anyway about the drinking public and are they going to respond and are they going to uh like this are they going to think the same things about it that we do are they going to enjoy it on that level and that's always a little bit of a of a of a gamble and you don't always know when with a lot of these styles i mean any brewer out there that's ever brewed a, a british style bitter knows that when you put bitter on a menu, even though you've got an IPA right next to it that's got eight times as many IBUs in it, you're not going to sell that bitter because of that word, at least historically. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. So, yeah. So so you and uh, Bierstadt have then taken a page out of those hipster, trendy brewers and decided to make this collab and come out here and do a special release weekend and yeah, make, a, make yeah. a thing of it. I, yeah. I love the lager collabs or the new IPA collabs. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, collaborations are something that I I do really do love doing and love being a part of. But to me, it's it's got to be there's got to be a special tie there, right, either right. A, a friendship from between the two brewers um, or breweries, um, a a mutual respect about a certain type of beer or way it's brewed, or a similar curiosity about a certain beer right, that you want right. to try and make, i.e. Tamave. Uh, so yeah, I, I I take them seriously, and and I feel like collaborations sometimes get a bad name because it's a thing where people are like, oh, we're gonna get together, we're gonna make an IPA with this hop, that hop, and the other hop, and the visiting brewers show up and they drink a few beers and then they bail, and you know, it it kind of takes the the meaning out of it to me a little right. bit. I'd like to I spend time in the brewery. I'm there for the entire brew day. And we talk about everything throughout the process. I've done some collaborations that had no less than 150 emails back and forth about the recipe and the and and the cellaring and the packaging and how, how all that goes. And and to me, that's that's super important. And I, I I feel like people don't always do that, and I wish they did. That's all. There's an integrity to the process. Yes, there. thank you. That's the yeah. Word. yeah. <laughs> um, Let's uh, switch gears and go back to something I kind of started talking about, and I promise you we'll get to West Coast IPAs and ales yeah, no here. Um, you know, but I want to talk. Your your Pilsner is uh, Sweet Ride, right? Uh, one of them, yeah. We actually make two. Okay. Um, Sweet Ride was an adaptation of a beer that I actually made at Pizza Port. Oh. It was the first lager that I'd ever made, and I actually named it after my first dog, and then we called it Murphy's Lager, spelled. You know, L-A-W instead of L-A-G. Anyway, um, so the beer, it, it, it does have a name, Sweet Ride Pilsner. 
Um, by probably anybody's drinking standards, it's not hopped to a Pilsner's level of IBUs. It's 4.3% normally, right around that range, 4.2, So it's it's pretty light in ABV. Um, what's the what's the IBU on it? I haven't had it tested, but okay. I'd, I'd venture to say it's not above 30. Okay. Yeah, it's it's pretty light. Um, it's difficult in a lighter beer too, but sure. Um, we didn't really build that beer thinking about a certain style, which is kind of different from a lot of the other things that I do. This was a, we want to make this really clean um, lager, representative of what? Not any particular style. Um, it did fit in. It does fit narrowly or closely into Bohemian Pilsner, and it actually won a gold medal at JBF in that category. But now having been to Prague and drank a ton of Czech Pilsner and Czech lagers, it does not fit into that category. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Sweet Ride's great. I, we actually canned a bunch of it for our fifth anniversary and um, a lot of brewers. We, we kind of deemed it the Brewer's Pilsner because every time we would bring it to a festival back in the day, all the brewers would come up and, and be like, oh, you still got that lager going? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was it was kind of fun that way. What does um, your process look like behind that pilsner? You mentioned not having the equipment to do it yeah. exactly the way you might like to do it, or the, certainly the way that Bill and Ashley yeah. slavishly do it. Yeah, to, um, <laughs> yeah. We cannot decoct on my system, and yeah. um, that was a choice made um, before we opened. Um, somewhat budgetary, somewhat looking at what my history was with making so much right. ale. Um, obviously loved loggers and wanted to make loggers but figured didn't figure that it would be as big a part of our production as it is now yeah um we have a single infusion mash louder and that obviously makes it very difficult to do even any kind of step infusion uh we do do it when we can on some of our loggers it's pretty difficult on sweet ride because it's such a small grist um, and we're talking about mashing in very dry at a lower temperature and then using hot water to bring that, that step up for, for the next um, step. And that's all we can do in, on a mash regime change that would be different from single infusion. And we do try, like I said, on some beers, it's harder on sweet. Um, the one thing that we do do is we give the lager its time. Uh, it drives me crazy when, um, you know, we have, I don't know, 160 some odd breweries in San Diego now. and everybody's got a quote pilsner or a lager and you just taste the beer first you look at the beer and you're like this looks like your hazy ipa man like it's <laughs> did you even find it you didn't you definitely didn't filter it and you definitely didn't give it the time you can just tell that it's young lager and we definitely give sweet ride six to eight weeks of lagering time um and we we give it we just give it the time that it needs and we have definitely tasted along the way and notice a difference it's very subtle it's very delicate it's a 4.3 percent beer not an average beer drinker is ever going to know the difference if we were to be like all right we're going to turn this thing in four weeks and to me that's not honoring what it is and it's not the beer that i want to put on the table in front of somebody i'd rather say yeah we lagered this beer we gave it its due we did everything we could we don't have lagering tanks unfortunately so it is lagering in a vertical cone, you know, conical fermenter. So, use any yeah. uh, process tweaks in order to, uh, you know, try to get some of those horizontal tank benefits There's despite n- the fact you're in a conical? It's really hard. Um, we, we go through primary and we have, to, we have tried actually moving uh, the beer off yeast into another tank. Um, we haven't noticed a lot of difference. So usually we're just removing yeast off the bottom over time and, and letting it sit. We've done different things with capping the tank at different parts of the process. The yeast that we use, um, we make a Baltic. All of our lagers we use the same yeast for. And, Do you, um, are you public with what yeast that is? Augustiner. Oh, yeah, yeah. okay. Um, we've found that we can get it to, to still do a lot of work at cellar temp at 32 degrees. Yeah. And particular with our Baltic Porter, um, we call it herd of turtles because it literally is a 12 to 14 week beer or more. Um, fermentation goes for about a month and then lagering the rest of the time. But once it gets down to cellar temp and it's lagering at 32 degrees, it's still doing work and it's still active, which I wow. didn't notice until we had made this beer and we started checking gravities along the way. And it's very subtle, it's very slow. 
but there's still work being done. So I was like, well, if there's still work being done in a big beer like this, then the same thing's happening with a little beer. And that's what we started to notice when we were checking that sweet ride at, say, two, three weeks versus yeah. six, eight, nine, 10, 12 weeks. We're like, whoa, okay, this is different. And so I, I didn't want to take that element away because I knew that I would taste it and I would know the difference. So Now, you, you know, like you said, we're talking about super fine points that would yes. probably be lost on your <laughs> average drinker. Yeah. Um, but how, how would you articulate that? You know, how would you put that in words, you know, that difference between two or four week lagering and then eight week lager? Um, I think it's, it's nuance and you have to first put the beer drinker's mindset in how little and how delicate the beer is that you're dealing with or tasting you're you know it take it take an ale that's 4.3 percent sure there's not a lot there right i mean there can be depending on what you're doing with that beer and I, that's something I, I really love low gravity beers because of that because trying to get a lot of different flavor and nuance into it without having something taste like hop water right or something tastes like just dark malt and nothing else like you need that depth and you need that that um but you don't you don't, you don't have the the depth of alcohol or the depth of that that body and grist to to get those characters so putting a, a person into a frame of mind where they're thinking delicate already right and i was just like oh that's lager that's light or that's a pale ale or that's a stout or whatever um and then describing the flavors describing oh do you taste this part of it does it kind of start off like um smooth um kind of crackery bready and then does it morph into a little bit of a bitterness do you get a little herbal character from the hops and once you start saying key words then and, and people start you know obviously suggestive but you know it people are like yeah wow yeah i do get that and you can tell when they're when it's not there what it is but right i think that's the only way um unless somebody has tasted unless you've got something side by side that is um that is the same alcohol percentage that is uh the you know the same everything else um speaking of differences i did have an opportunity to taste the same exact beer um single infusion and then the same ingredients everything else um decocted single decoction where was that in germany okay <laughs> at a, a friend of mine's brewery in bamberg uh and mars um Stefan just came out. We were tasting a bunch of his beers, and he plopped two beers down on the table. They both look zwickle, obviously. Yeah. And I'm sitting there, and he's like, oh, taste these and tell me what you think. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, wow, they're really, really light. And he's like, yeah, they're 4%. He's like, okay. And I was like, this one seems to have a, a little more delicacy to it. It's, it's a little kind of deeper in, in flavors and goes on a little bit more. And this one just seems to be a little more one-dimensional and a little bit more kind of uh, dropped off, you know? And he's like, that one's decocted, that one's single infusion. <laughs> I was like, yeah, wow. Yeah. And he was experimenting because he wanted to make a summer beer yeah. that was a drinker, that was quick, that was easy sure, to make, sure. and all of that. So that's why he did that. But I was like, well, what's the process? And he's like, everything, the malt's the same, the temps are the same, obviously, except for the decoction. Um, and the hops are the same, the same, maybe, same gravities, everything. And I was like, wow, that, that's, that's an experiment that every brewer should, <laughs> should have the right. chance to go through, but none will. Sure, <laughs> sure. It's just impossible to find that opportunity. So I thanked him up and down and sideways. And I was like, God, I had uh, my lead brewer with me, only other guy that really works with me in the brewery there. And I'm like, you, you taste these <laughs> now. Get this experience because you're never going to get it again. <laughs> You know, and yet you still, you know, come back and you obviously you don't have the ability to make that beer. Yeah. Great beers can be made without that process. True. Yep. But great beers are also definitely made with that process. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. When you come here, um, and I think the majority of brewers that I've met that, that come to Beerstadt understand and, and taste and smell and, and feel that difference. Um, uh, your general drinking public, maybe not, but. Yeah, it's it's so evident to me. <laughs> you know, I think I think to some degree that that level of discernment, you know, always operates um, on a scale over time. You know, we can yeah. say that your drinker today doesn't notice that on average, and they may not. You know, in the same way that um, you know your uh, average you know folks 
10 years or 20 years or 30 years ago couldn't tell you know differences in resolution or color fidelity mm-hmm. in photographs but as our technology improves and as you know people spend more time with mm-hmm. these things mm-hmm. well i think about coffee for example you know yeah. the first time people started drinking starbucks and you know a, a more uh, thoughtfully roasted and produced coffee mm-hmm. um people couldn't tease out the differences in it. it's like oh it, I, it tastes better i like it because it tastes better but mm-hmm. i don't know why it tastes better right um and now we start talking about single origin coffees and have to pour over because pour over is only, you know going to capture these flavors. Mm-hmm. you know and our, our ability to discern the difference between these things over time um, gets significantly uh, more uh, acute and mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, discreet and so um, you know where you know again just because it's the way people are now doesn't mean that's the way people will be five years from now or True. ten years from now. True. And so, um, you know, I think for brewers that are learning these things, these are important things to be able to understand and be able to articulate mm-hmm. so that they understand why they these might be important, even if they're not as crucially important now, mm-hmm. why they may be important in the future of these brewing businesses. Yeah. Uh, I, I, the coffee analogy there is, is a real good one. And it's on a consumer level, I think of how difficult it is and it's almost like kind of any kind of <laughs> consumable, right? Like you can really be into making bread, like really, really into making bread and, you know, develop your own yeast and your own methods and your own rises and your own oven and how your temps are and all of those things. Coffee, beer, uh, d- other different types of food are the same way. Like if you're, I, I look at a consumer as like, gosh, I really like beer. And maybe they've been to Beerstadt, and maybe they've been to other breweries that are within <laughs> the three-mile sure. radius or whatever it yeah. is here, and they tasted different things. But the education part and the dive-in part is the hard part, right? Because they have to actually be invested and know, well, what's the process? You know, did this Pilsner have the process the same as here at Beerstadt? How old is that beer? If they're buying beer in a store, oh, packaged beer. When was it packaged? How was it packaged? What's you know, what ingredients were in it? Was it what's its process? Was was a can on a mobile canner that might not exactly have the best airs as as somebody who's got a really nice canning line and a and a lab? Like it, there's there's so many different elements that can change the way a beer sure, tastes sure. or a coffee tastes or a bread, anything. I I have some coffee guys back home that'll swear that any barista can mess up any type of coffee. <laughs> At any point in time, right, right. so you know you 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 have to kind of take it, you know, and think about that. And I guess what I was getting to is for the for the consumer. To me, it's like, well, did you really enjoy that beer? Cool, great. You enjoyed it. You like it. Support it. Keep keep right, doing it. Right. You know, no matter what style, I don't care if if yeah, you if yeah. you like, you know swizzle tube something IPA with 27 different fruits and lactose and everything else and it, it pours like mud like cool that's your thing you like that buy it keep supporting it do that but if you like a well-made double decocted German style Pilsner learn about it learn what it is and learn what you really like to drink but that's what you like to drink cool you know what I mean and sometimes <laughs> there are folks that like both yeah yeah <laughs> Um, no, you know, if we think about the, where that conversation on hops is now, 10 years ago, we weren't mm-hmm. having conversations in IPAs about, you know, the variety of hops and how it was yeah. double dry hopped and how it was, you know, uh, uh, multi-stage dry hopped or mm-hmm. any, like these just, <laughs> nobody had those conversations. <laughs> they weren't things that breweries put into marketing, yeah. you know, and yet yeah. now that like you, you have consumers that go out and drink a lot of hazy IPAs. And they can tell you exactly which hops they like and mm-hmm. don't like, mm-hmm. you know, that percentages of these are more better than that. You know, like that kind of discernment on the part of, of beer consumers is there, you know, in a mm-hmm. significant portion of them. And it may not be there as much on the lager side now, but it will definitely be coming. I think I that think is so. that's inevitable. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Let's change gears because it sure. would just—I would be remiss to not talk to you about West Coast IPA. Right. Yeah, let's do it. It's—it's uh, it's definitely a, you know again a style that uh, you've brewed a lot of, yes. and over the decades have uh, you know have again been awarded well for, and kind of made some pivotal beers in that uh, you know in that kind of field. Uh, obviously, we're seeing West Coast IPA change today. Yeah. Um, it is interesting how. You know this dialogue between you know bitter West Coast, bitter and dry West Coast IPA became this almost like 
uh, polar opposite yin and yang thing with sweet and heavy yeah. uh, hazy IPA, uh, which was pretty much the antithesis. But now we're watching some of that pull back into West Coast IPA with little lower bitterness levels, more dry hopping, mm-hmm. more of these modern uh, hops varieties, mm-hmm. Pacific Northwest, you know, uh, South, South Pacific kind of, you know, yep. hops varieties. Yep. Talk to me a little bit about, um, you know, your evolution through the West Coast IPA style. Sure. What, you know, what was influential at the start? I mean, in a lot of ways, you kind of helped uh, move the entire trend forward and make it a thing. Um, and then talk to me a little bit about where you see it today and what, what you're enjoying out of it and uh, how that influences the way you brew them. Sure. I think the original, my original curiosity and love for IPA is almost like I think anybody else's, which is that bang hop aroma and flavor and bitterness. And my first kind of um, accounts with IPA, the, the one that stands out to me the most is Swami's IPA from Solana Beach Beachport. Yeah. It's no longer made the way that it used to be. Um, the one that's made in canned and is is all over the place is, is uh, actually quite a, what I feel like is quite a different recipe than the original. But the original was, I mean, it was so popular and so like just stand out, like bitter, strong, you know, hop forward. And this is a beer that wasn't even dry hopped back then. Not at all. <laughs> like a little Whirlpool yeah. edition. Yeah. But still had such a hop flavor and bitterness and character to it that was unlike any other beer. Um, original Stone IPA was another because I worked for the brewery. And I was like, gosh, this, this smells amazing. And, and it's, it's one of the original San Diego, you know, it's, it, it's, very, it's very blonde in color, golden in color, old school hops, high IBUs, high aroma. It was dry hopped. And still is, and I believe they still make it the same way they used to, and and that was another big one. And when we started doing the anniversary beers at Stone, that those just blew my mind because it was like the second anniversary. It was like, all right, we're gonna do double the hops. We're just gonna brew the regular old IPA, but we're gonna do double the hops. And I remember thinking, setting it on a coffee table, and going, gosh, I could smell the hops from here, you know. So that was the first, you right, know, right. The, my first love of that, and wanting to obviously make that. How did that happen? What do you do? And then starting to experiment. What, what were the hops back then? Uh, the original Swami's was Galena for the bittering hop and Cascade and Centennial. Yeah. And um, like I said, no dry hop. And we, even when I started in Solana Beach, Tommy and I, like we were talking about it and we we're like, let's dry hop this thing, you know? And then we started experimenting. We made a beer called Hop 15, um, which was a riff on what uh, Sam was doing at Dogfish Head with his uh, Minute IPA, 690 and 120. And we were like, well, we'll call it Hop 15. We'll choose 15 different hops. We'll throw them in a hat. We'll pick out the order. We'll put a pound of each in the boil. And then we'll try and dry hop with, you know, a significant amount of those. We didn't have enough to to dry hop with them all. But, you know, a big, strong version of, of IPA. We started messing around. And I think in San Diego, that those feelings were echoed through the other breweries that were in town and the other brewers that were making IPA back then, old Ballast Point IPAs and Coronado and Alpine and Alesmith and Stone, of course, as I mentioned, you know, everybody knew each other and everybody was talking about, oh, what are you doing? What are you doing? You know, what can, how can we change this around? What can we do with hops? Where can we add them? Where can we, you know, what's, what's going to have a negative effect? What's going to have a positive effect? And it was just fun, man. It was, it was like a, I, I I think maybe it's like, because I, I don't make them, maybe it's like what the <laughs> hazy brewers are going through now. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's, for me, that's where it started with those yeah. those basic yeah. those basic hoppy beers like that. And um, Were started, the hops different back then? Uh, yes, yes, very much so. Like, I remember the first time smelling Amarillo. I say Amarillo because I'm from San Diego, but it, uh, it, we were like, what? what is that whoa you know simcoe same way um and some of these other hops but when we got really good cascade really good chinook really good centennial with our nice fresh coming off we were back then we were some of the only breweries doing um wet hop beers that weren't in washington and oregon and um getting those those wet hop beers and just being enamored with their aromas and flavors and how different they were and how just i kind of passionate and deep and exotic the aromas and flavors were and now those are in almost everyday hops the thing that's different is i was trying to explain this to somebody about i was like 
10, 15 years ago and we were talking about a lot of these new, newer hops and how they were coming out. And I was like, well, the thing is, what's dangerous about it is they haven't been used in a lot of beer and they haven't been put in a lot of places. And these brewers are just taking these hops, buying them and throwing them in and not really realizing. And to me, you were getting, yes, you were getting that tropical, exotic, um, crazy kind of hop aroma, but you're also paying for it with things like green garlic and sweat sock and bo and onion and metallic and all these uh, diesel things that aren't really attractive but they kind of became the style they became part of those flavor nuances so much so that they're written into the ba's guidelines (laughs) (laughs) sure (laughs) some of those some of those aromas that aren't as attractive as the passion fruit and the pineapple and the pine. Yes, the- but even <laughs> even passion fruit. When you you know, if you're to eat a passion fruit, you get some of those you know diesel oh, yeah. and, and passion fruit know. and guava. I call puke fruit, sure, because it sure. has that kind of vomitish. It is that kind of it. pleasure and pain and yeah. equal parts yeah, <laughs> in the flavor alone. Yeah, but yeah, as as time went on, and you know, IPAs. God, yeah, they they yeah. they went everywhere. <laughs> Yeah. What are some of the uh, most favorite IPAs that you brewed over time? Obviously, you mentioned Hop Fifteen. And, uh, you know, yeah, that was Swami. that was that was a big one. Swami's uh, Poor Man's and Carlsbad. That was a recipe that I developed on my own, and it did well. Uh, not only with the patrons at the pub, um, but across and and uh, one two Alpha Kings, and um, yeah, that that was a that was a huge one for me. Um, and we make we make a couple different ones. Actually, make a handful or more now at Bagby and they're all in the same vein some yeah. of them just have a little bit different hop combinations but they're very very similar in color dryness bitterness things like that and I think it's interesting to see the progression and now almost like you were talking about this this kind of swing back to bright and bitter um, it's obviously it's it's cool for me to see because I never really I never really appreciated and understood the hazy thing I like had worked for years to get my IPAs bright and here everybody's like I ah, just kick it out the way it looks you know just leave that stuff hanging in there and the the texture and like I've I've smelled plenty of them where I'm like this smells fantastic the hop character and the aroma is amazing and then I taste it and I can't go much further than that it's either the texture the body uh, something else in those beers that I just cannot do and I couldn't fathom drinking a whole pint of it's very like I think I've drinking one pint, a full pint of hazy IPA in my life. But I respect what you're doing, and if you can get people to line up around the block and pay six dollars a can <laughs> for it, frick, yeah, go for it, man. Can you do that for ten years? I don't know, but for now, yeah, go for it. Talk to me a little bit now. You know, uh, a little a couple months ago on the podcast, we talked to um, Evan from Green Cheek, mm-hmm. and you know, obviously he's. He's got his own IPA winning streak mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, various competitions these days. Um, you know, Joe from Pine House Pizza, we've talked about. Same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. They are, you know, there is this new school kind of approach to West Coast IPA mm-hmm. that is incorporating some of those fruitier, more tropical elements mm-hmm. of hazy IPA and also potentially dialing the bitterness down a little bit or mm-hmm. even if it is similar amounts of bitterness um, choosing ways to produce that bitterness mm-hmm. that heighten the softness of that bitterness yeah. rather than some of the kind of ragged edge bitterness that yeah. uh, and that bold in your face bitterness <laughs> that uh, West Coast IPA has always been known for. Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit. I mean, obviously you're right in you know the the center of it in yeah, San Diego. We're in um, the thick of it. I haven't really uh, changed the way that I make IPA. It's always been the same, but I really do respect, especially guys like Evan. Like that guy is a master at putting new hop combinations together and getting the best aromas and flavors out of them. Yeah. He knows how to time brewing, time dry hopping, time everything else so that they come out just amazing. And I have the utmost respect for him. I can't make IPA like that. No way. <laughs> no way. And I think it's awesome. You're on the record now saying I, that. No, I, I totally respect the guy for it. Yeah. I think yeah. that it's amazing that I can go and, and and look at his board, and he's got German-style Hellas that tastes fantastic right. and some other German-style beers, and he's got West Coast IPA, and he's got Hazy, and he's got um, call them two, uh, two, <laughs> tart uh, slash sour things available, too. And to do them all well is very, very... That's difficult. That's just, you know... And I and I respect that. And the and the West Coast part of it, yeah, he's, he's doing... 
I, I believe he, he is new school in West Coast. He's doing things with those hops and still maintaining bright beer, still maintaining some bitterness, but backing off the bitterness a little bit to make drinkability maybe a little bit better. I always think more beer, bitter beer to me is more drinkable, but um, I, I, I get it and I'd seen it and I really appreciate when I taste his beers. I'm like, that's amazing, man. That's so good. Those are not hops that I would ever use. Those are not hops that I am familiar enough with to know how to use. Um, I've only had a few of the Pine House beers, but I've had other brewers right. um, that are doing similar things. And I really, it's really exciting to me to see um, the ones that still have enough bitterness that I can still go, yeah, I still call that West Coast IPA. Um, some of the other ones, I'm like, dude, that's like pale ale. It, it's strong, yeah, but it's it's got pale ale BUs in it. You know, Sierra's got more BUs in it than, come on. <laughs> so one of your uh, one of your kind of fundamental things for Bagby as a whole is this combination of beer and food service. You know, your brewery is a brew pub. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you are building a place for people to go, mm-hmm. and the primary place where people are going to experience and consume your beer is at your own place. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. there is some beer that goes out into distribution, but mm-hmm. generally it's not you know rarely packaged or only packaged on anniversaries. You know, if it's sold on draft, then at least there you know is a bartender to explain or talk about this. Um, and you have said to us in the past, uh, you know, obviously we wrote a cover story about Bagby in our Brewing Industry Guide last year, um, and you've talked about that importance of ed- education being the thing that helps you sell these kinds of traditional style beers in a world where, you know, there is so much hype and trend kind of driving excitement. Talk to me a little bit about how you do that, you know, how you build a story, mm-hmm. um, you know, and how you talk, how your, even your staff tells that story of why you brew this way and and uh, what how your customers then respond and react to it uh, it's it's difficult i think it's one of the most difficult things we do our our pub has so many different offerings we have guest beer we have we have a nice wine list we have a ton of spirits we have cocktails we have you know there's there's a lot for our staff to learn and try and translate to people so it's it's teaching them to to see what the customer is, is about when we open the brewery I thought we would have a lot more beer fans that came in than we actually do. We are super family heavy. Huh. We have a wide range of of customer age range. You know, we've got old people, young people, everything in between. Um, and it's not as beer focused as I would have thought. I and not to say that beer people don't come in, um, but it's teaching our our staff to know and recognize what that guest is 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 looking for. Some of them come in, they just want a beer, literally. Just, oh, I'll just get a beer with my pizza. It's like, okay, well, we've got literally hundreds of them. <laughs> what, what, give us some direction. And teaching the staff person to, to educate and listen to flavor descriptions. Get them to describe, not just like, what was the last beer you had or what do you have at home or what do you really like? It's like, oh, do you like a light body? Do you like delicate? Do you like bitter? Do you like sweet? Do you like roasty? Do you like um, uh, caramel or dark or... You know, do you like coffee? Do you know different things like this to kind of hone them in, and then giving them different samples, and and then describing after the person's like, oh, I really liked that. You know, and they're like, oh, well, you told me you didn't like bitter, you didn't like bitter, you didn't like hoppy, and that's the hoppiest, most bitter beer we have on the board. So it's 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 coming back around and going, okay, this is what you chose, and this is what you really like, but here's what you're actually drinking, and here's where it came from. So it's that back part that's difficult, and it's also the the initial. Like, right? Like, right. What, what do you, what does that person want? What are they looking for? Yeah. You're also giving them a chance to find a win, you know, and I, yes. I, that's, that's what I love about that kind of educational approach to beer. You provide some flavor descriptors and you give them a chance to confirm it, you know, yep. that it's, you, you know, it's like this, 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 and they're like, oh yeah, I get that. And that makes them feel good as a beer drinker to be able to respond and feel like, yeah, okay, I get it. That They get a win and that little endorphin boost right there that says oh okay i see yeah. what they're talking about it's hard it makes you feel good sometimes people are like yeah i really like ipa i really yeah. like bitter beers and then you give them one of our beers and our ipas and they're like oh this is too bitter i can't drink this and you're like well you said you'd like you know yeah. so you have to like also cautiously you know like well actually you know this is this is a bitter beer and this isn't i was talking to my friend who works for russian river and had poured at a festival recently and had somebody came up and tell them how malty blind pig was and how they really liked that it had this malt depth and it was such a malty beer amongst all these ipas and i'm going i want to know what he thinks a hoppy beer is then 
So perceptions, perceptions and things are different. You know, people tell you they don't like bitterness when they actually do. People tell you they like bitterness when they really don't. It's, 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 it's difficult. It's difficult to get the staff member to be able to recognize and make the decisions about what they're going to offer or what they're going to suggest to get a win with the customer. So it, it, it is, it is some work, but when it works, it's, it's phenomenal. It makes sense. Let's um, let's take a long view here for one last question. Sure. What does success look like for you and for Bagby Beer Company? Ooh, um, I would say if we're having this conversation 10, 15 years from now, that would that would be success yeah. for me. I would love that. You still want to be doing it 10 or 15 years? Oh from yeah, now. yeah. I've you're you in know, this life. You're when you open a brewery, and especially something like what my wife and I have done. You get pushed, and every owner that might be out there listening to him knows yeah. exactly what I'm talking about. And you know, I like to tell people, "Oh, what have you learned? What have you gotten?" And I'm like, one of the first things I always say is, "Absolutely nothing surprises me anymore." But you get pushed, and you, and you're like, "Well, if this didn't work, what else would I do?" And I'm like, "I don't think I would do anything else but make beer. Like that's that's what I want to do. So if I can continue to do it with my own business, then that's the that's win success for me personally." For Bagby Beer, we want to grow. We want to make more beer. We want to sell more beer off-premise. We want to bring more people into our pub, continue to educate people about the beer styles that we make and why we make them and where they come from. We want to continue to offer the food that we do and just become more of a presence in our community, more of our presence in San Diego. A lot of people are like, oh, yeah, I've heard of you. I heard you make great beer. I'm like, oh, and you've never been to our pub and you live 20 minutes away. <laughs> okay, cool. Thanks, bro. Thanks for the support. Like, that's that I would love to change. I would yeah. love, like, oh, yeah. I went there and I had a fantastic time. I love your beers. Thank you so much. Yeah. You know, and I think there's there's a lot of work that we have to do in those arenas to just kind of elevate what we're doing um, so that we're increasing production. We're, we're making more beers. I would love to continue to work on our loggers. I would love to get be at, be at a point where we can get loggering tanks or maybe even one day we get a mash ton. Um, Things like that. Well said. Well <laughs> said. Well, Jeff Bagby, thanks for joining me on the podcast. G&D Chillers is ready to meet your challenge. Kickstart your innovation with old orchard craft juice concentrates. SS Brutech has the knowledge and experience you need. And Captain Pabst Seabird IPA is now available exclusively in Wisconsin and Chicago. Uh, if people want to learn more about Bagby, where do they go find you? Sure. Uh, website's easy. I don't do any of our social, but I know we're on, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, that's where we list our events and, and things like that. Um, and yeah, the best and most positive way is come and see us at the pub. Sounds good. It's Thank on you, my Jamie. list. Yeah. Cheers. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.